disclosure is kind of the magic wand of communication because out of all the behaviors that we are proposing in the model, disclosure is the one that when you do it, other people will reciprocate. There's almost this little rule in our interactions where if I disclose a little bit about me, then you disclose a little bit about you. And that is where the collegiality or the intimacy really emerges from as a result of that behavior. So we're really hoping that part of what we're doing here in that section of the book is showing leaders how they can disclose professionally, of course, but use the power of disclosure to deepen their relationships with others. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantivos. And today we have two guests. Our first is Julian Merivel. Julian is founder of the Positive Communication Network, is originally from Paris, France, and is an award-winning teacher, author, and among the founding scholars of the merging field of positive communication. Welcome, Julian. Hey, thanks so much for having us and uh, looking forward to the conversation. And our second guest is Alexander Leon. Alexander is an author, consultant speaker, and a professor of communication at the State University of New York at Brockport. For the last two decades, he has consulted and spoken for the likes of Nike, Google, Visa, and the Center for Homeland Defense and Security. And Alex is the founder of the Communication Coach Academy. Welcome, Alex. Happy to be here, Brian. And the reason we have two guests is because Alex and Julian have co-authored a book that I think has incredible importance for leaders at all levels of organizations. The book is Positive Communication for Leaders, Proven Strategies for Inspiring Unity and Effecting Change. Let's begin by asking what brought you to write this book. So, you know, both Alex and I are obviously communication professors. I think we, we could say that it's our passion. We've spent our entire careers really dedicated to thinking and writing about and researching how people, particularly in organizations, but also in their personal life, can learn to communicate better, more effectively and more positively. And uh, we decided to collaborate on this one. Approximately 10 years ago, I developed a model of positive communication that I think has a lot of impact for practice. Alex has a great deal of uh, expertise and experience, particularly in organizational communication and leadership. So we combine these two things and really build upon our common strength and use the model to articulate how leaders in a variety of roles can practice positive communication in their own lives and really make the kind of impact that I think most of us in these roles want to be able to make. On a personal note, Julian and I went to grad school together way back when, and uh, we've known each other for a long time, and we've collaborated on other research and writing as well before this, and we used to teach at the same college. So we've been at it for a while. 
We've also been, I don't know if you saw this, but we've been featured in a movie called Madagascar. You know, Alex is Alex the Lion, and he calls me the original King Julian, which uh, <laughs> I think we make a pretty good pair in the end. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Thank you. Um, Julian, you mentioned your model, and your model really gives us the framework of the book. Before we dive into it, one of the things that really impressed me and, and made this book so valuable is this isn't just theory. You get very, very practical about how you do this and the value of doing it, why to do it, so forth and so on. And you take a perspective that really there are two lenses to bring to communication. One is to communicate effectively. The other is to communicate positively. Right. Before we jump into the model, everybody talks about communicating effectively. Why is communicating positively so important? So, well, first, that's a great question and a great noticing about the book. Really much appreciated. You know, effectiveness by definition is just simply you being able to reach your goals. And that's great. And I think that ought to be a good part of communication competency. But I don't think it should be the only definition of co communication competency because there are other things that are important beyond just the person's own personal goals. There are maybe relational goals. Maybe there are organizational goals. And, and I think for Alex and I, we often think that Good communication is not about you at all. It's actually about other people, right? Because the word communication comes from the root of community, the same, the same kind of origin. So for me, positive communication is a way of saying, yes, it is about effectiveness. We're here to reach some goals, but it's also about ethics. And so the word positive, from my vantage point, Alex probably has a different uh, perspective. It's about figuring out how we can use the power of communication to first build upon our, our, our confidence, our strength as a communicator, but to be able to create good relationships with others, but also make a social impact that has, to me, uh, helps us reach toward some of the greatest virtues like compassion and courage and justice. And if we can, as communicators, move in that direction, to me, that's positive communication. Yeah, I would agree with that and just add to that that most people now recognize that communication is perhaps the dominant skill of effective leaders. And so we figure, well, if we're going to help leaders become more effective, then communication is the very best place to start. And that will then help them create a better team culture and create better relationships uh, for everybody. Let me walk through just briefly the six levels of the wheel that is your model. And then I want to come back and ask you to just briefly talk about each one of them. And then we want to dive deep. Greet to create human contact. Ask to discover the unknown. Compliment to affect people's sense of self. Disclose to deepen relationships. Encourage to give support. And listen to transcend differences. Tell us a little bit about why greeting is important. So greeting, you know, is for me, and again, Alex, I'm sure we'll be able to, to add to this, is that the reason why we focus so much on greetings is because it's the opening of interaction, 
So every interaction begins in a particular way. And the behavior that leads from living in your own world to living in the world of relationship is really the ability to begin the connection, which takes place through a greeting sequence. And we know that the greeting sequence occurs in every culture that we've ever studied. So the focus on the greeting is to say, hey, let's pay attention to the early moments of interaction, because it turns out that these early moments, first of all, the presence or absence of a greeting is going to have quite a bit of consequences for what unfolds next in the communication, but also what unfolds next in the relationship. Yeah, and I would add to that, that a greeting, so when you miss the greeting, when you don't have a greeting, it actually can cause a lot of friction and tension in a relationship if the greeting doesn't happen well or at all. But a greeting also, an intentional greeting also sets you up for not just affirming the other person and the relationship, but it sets you up to work on task-related behaviors much more smoothly than if you try to skip the greeting. So it builds, even though a greeting is short, it builds that trust, that connection, that open exchange and, and open line of communication, and then you can get to your task behavior in the workplace much more effectively. Alex, I just want to echo something that you said that is so easy to miss. You said with intention. Yeah. Because the good morning, how are you? Hello, what's happening? All of those things that we so often use as greetings really don't have intention. They don't have meaning. They're not expressed as a way of forming connection. They're just sort of a pro forma, how do you do? Right. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times we just default to everyday scripts. And an everyday script is still helpful. It, it's better than nothing. But if we greet people with intention and we take the time to really ask them how they are, ask them how their weekend went, just connect and not rush it and be authentic and sincere, then the other person is going to feel that with much more impact. You know, and one thing we add, you know, in the book, when we talk about this idea of greeting, that I think with the years for me has transformed a little bit. There's obviously the behavior of actually greeting, but there's also the movement. So it's kind of, I think of it more and more as a movement toward other people, right? And the reason why that's so important is because we have so many pressures, particularly in the role of leadership, for not making that move. There's so many pressures on us, including tasks to accomplish, meetings to go to, that it removes us from connection. It removes us from the world of relationships. Today, you know, it's using Zoom rather than meeting people in person. So it's, it's the behavior is kind of a counter to what might be our intuition, if you will. The second segment in this Wheel of Positive Communication is ask to discover the unknown. As leaders, so many think, I have to have the answers. There is no unknown that I can't take on because I'm the leader. You give some great examples of the value of asking to discover the unknown. Would you share one of those or two of those with our listeners? One of the key things to realize is first and foremost that asking good questions is a leadership behavior. You can lead simply by asking the right question at the right moment. There's a statistic we cite in the book that even though only 6% of all communication acts are questions, those questions drive 60% of the discussion that follows. So leaders, good leaders really know that asking questions is 
a major way to drive a discussion. And the questions can be about discovering the unknown about a particular problem people are trying to solve, or it could be discovering the unknown about other people so that you're getting to know other people. And the key to asking questions, even if the leader probably knows the answer or has a pretty good idea about what the solution could be, it's still important to bring people along, get their voices in the conversation so that wherever you land, whatever decision you make, that people around you feel ownership, that it's really their solution as well, and they are a part of it. It's not just a top-down communication channel. One of the things that I often talk about with the leaders I coach is ask the question and shut up. (laughs) As soon as if I ask the question and I ask it in a rhetorical way and give my answer, or if I just say, you know, I think the best solution to this problem is X, I've closed the conversation. Right. Right. That's like the antidote for a good discussion is to supply the answer as the leader, because then they think, well, sounds like Brian already has an idea. I guess we'll just go with that. They might not say it out loud, but it's going to oftentimes close off the conversation. Segment three is complement to affect people's sense of self. And again, there's great importance to this because as leaders, how people see themselves affects how they show up on our teams. Yeah, you know, the behavior, so for us, the behavior is well in the principle that our communication, a leader's communication, is inherently going to affect other people. It's going to affect who they are. It's going to to communicate to the other person who is who you are as a person in relationship to me. And it's also going to communicate, hopefully, and if it's in a positive way, I guess both positive and negative, who they're going to become. So what we're playing with in that, in kind of the model is this idea that communication is related to the creation of other people's sense of self. Uh, So complimenting is just one way. There are many other ways of affecting people positively, but we focus on complimenting because it's controllable behavior. It's something that matters in the world of uh, leadership in organizations because part of what people need is they need to feel valued, they need to feel respected, they need to feel included. And one way of communicating that to others is to say, hey, I see these strength in you. Such a great way of being a coach too. For us, it's really easy to do. There's a big need for positive feedback and compliments in the workplace. You know, we get so busy, we end up just pointing out the things that need to be fixed. But when we slow down and invest in people with compliments, positive feedback, then they really it really makes a huge difference. And so we believe it's an underserved area of communication. And when a leader does this on a consistent basis and then is on the lookout for the things that in others that they can, the leader can compliment, then the leader begins to look for all the wonderful things that are happening and see the strengths in others as well. Segment four is disclose to deepen relationships. Disclosure. This is the hard <laughs> one, right, Julian? It is. So leaders, it's lonely at the top, right? Leaders want to feel like they're in a good position, an official position, but they also end up sometimes closing off too much and they're they're too much in their role. And then other people often hesitate to approach them because of the higher status that leaders often have. So what ends up happening is this people don't really get to know the leader and vice versa as much. So what, what leaders can do to begin to fracture that bubble around them and connect more authentically is to talk about themselves a little bit, to share 
their professional struggles, especially those in the past that may have some relevance for current struggles to talk about their life outside of work a little bit. And we're not saying you have to be best friends with the people you lead. That's probably not a good idea, but you can certainly connect as whole human beings and not simply as part of a role. And one of the ways to do that is to tell people things about yourself. Tell people, we even talk in the book about sharing your, some of your small weaknesses, some of your shortcomings that you can laugh at and that other people will then often reciprocate and share theirs. It's really one, you know, as you point, I mean, Alex started by saying, you know, that's a hard one because disclosure does make us vulnerable. But, and I love this, Alex says this all the time when we do trainings together. He says, you know, disclosure is kind of the magic wand of communication because out of all the behaviors that we are proposing in the model, disclosure is the one that when you do it, other people will reciprocate. There's almost this little rule in our interactions where if I disclose a little bit about me, then you disclose a little bit about you. And that is where the collegiality or the intimacy really emerges from as a result of that behavior. So we're really hoping that part of what we're doing here in that section of the book is showing leaders how they can disclose professionally, of course, but use the power of disclosure to deepen their relationships with others. I want to come back and dive more deeply into this one. But before we do, we have two more segments to at least fly over at a high level. The next is encouraged to give support. All right. That one, I'll just make it, you know, the argument in the book here is that, you know, you take at any or any place you work with, there's going to be crisis. There's going to be human suffering. People are going to go through hard times. They're going to go through a divorce. They may go through a hard time in their career. The organization itself may be restructuring. So part of the role of a leader is to be able to encourage people through these hardships to try to get the best out of people and to help them remember of why we're doing the things that we're doing. And so we offer some strategies there. But the way I look at it today is it's really about finding ways as a leader to transform ordinary moments into extraordinary ones. And I think anybody who's been in the workplace with a great boss, they know that at some point that person did something for them that personally helped them grow, that personally helped them develop. And the sixth segment of this wheel of positive communication is listen to transcend differences. Yeah, leaders must listen. We show in the book that the higher you go in organizational life, the more leadership responsibilities you have, the more you will listen. So a leader listens on average twice as much as the regular old employee. And so if you're gonna be listening for most of your day, you better get good at it. And listening is an effective leadership skill because when we listen to others, we sense what they need, we understand their world, we can empathize, and then any decisions we make as a leader are much more likely to hit the target because we understand the lay of the land with other people. And it's not all about, again, top-down communication, but listening is being there for people. And sometimes it's such a compliment, such a such a classy move for a leader to really listen to their people. It makes a big impact when they know they have the leader's full attention. It's a powerful behavior for positive communication. I want to go back to the disclose to deepen relationships. And I want to start with a movie I watched on a recent Delta flight. Okay. And the movie is called The Steepest Climb. And it's about Delta Airlines 
focused on their response to the pandemic, but really taking us through their history, through 9-11, through their bankruptcy, and, and so forth. And I bring the movie up because there is so much disclosure in the movie by Ed Bastian, who's the CEO, but also by board members, by um, other executives, all the way down to frontline workers. And everything from the personal, like Ed sharing that his mother died in February, right before COVID, and that he was dealing with his grief as he was trying to save his company, to um, a, a woman saying, you know, they started talking about our, our flight attendants wearing masks. And I said, no, they'll never wear masks. And two weeks later, I was wrong. They're, they're wearing masks. So, so again, leaders sharing not only about their personal, but sharing about how they make decisions and they can change their minds. Right. You talk in each of these segments about taking it to different levels. And level one in Disclosed to Deepen Relationships is about disclosing habits, sharing your story, revealing your emotions and thoughts. Why is this so important? So, I mean, first, it's a great example, what you're, what you're sharing. I mean, even as I'm listening to you, I'm like, I'm connecting with the story, right? And that's exactly what Alex and I would say is when you disclose, what happens is the kind of the magic that Alex is describing with that word, which is you feel like you're getting to know the individual behind the door. And it's counterintuitive. In other words, every force in you says, don't do this, right? Like, don't tell the audience that I was facing the grief at the same time that I was facing. I could see a person really hesitating to, to disclose something like that. And our argument, and of course, it's not a law, but our argument and our proposal is that that's, we hesitate, but when we do it, there's such a huge payoff, as you can tell from just the way it connected with you and the way it's connecting with me now. And that's what we hope that people will achieve if they disclose a little bit more willingly. Yeah, disclosure is what draws people closer. It's one of the ways I got my wife to watch sports. So, it's, you know, I would say, you know, she would say, oh, why does that player have that ribbon wrapped around his arm? And I would say, oh, that's because his one of his relatives is fighting cancer. And today he's playing for her. And then my wife will sit down and watch the rest of the game. <laughs> and she'll, and now she's got a team she's rooting for because she has learned personal information that makes her drawn in to the life of another person. And I think when we share our story, when we disclose, that that's exactly what happens with each other. We get to know each other. We get to like each other. And then it's much easier and more enjoyable to work together. It's one of the things that makes life worth living is getting is relationship and disclosure is a key to that can i add one more thing here on disclosure you know it's that it's also the way that we create uniqueness in the relationships that we have with other people so the key behavior in separate like what's the difference between my relationship with you today brian and my relationship with alex is the amount and personalness of our disclosure. That's what shapes how close we are and how distant we are and why it's so powerful, but also why it's also the one that people most hesitate on, you know? 
as you're talking about disclosure, one of the things that you say is break the ice with purpose. I think that goes back in, in some ways to what you were saying before, Alex, about greeting with intent. But breaking the ice goes beyond greeting. So take us through the broken ice, if you will. One of the things that we see nowadays in teams and groups at work is some kind of icebreaker. A lot of times, though, sometimes they're effective, but a lot of times they're silly or goofy and just a way to warm things up a little bit, get people talking so that when they move to task, people are at least able to contribute. However, there's an opportunity at the beginning of every Zoom meeting or every in-person meeting and important conversation to connect a little bit socially so you can break the ice in ways that prompt people to self-disclose at their own comfort level. So you can ask them, for example, one of the ones we mentioned in the book is the icebreaker called Highlight Hardship Hero. What's a highlight from the week? What's one hardship? And who's one of your heroes this week or hero in general? And through this helpful information, you get to know what people are going through, what, what's been happening with them. And it only takes a, less than a minute for each person to share, but you then hear, oh, this is a whole well-rounded human being with a life outside of this meeting. And I do too. And now we know that about each other. And those become common ground that you can bond over rather than just something a little more silly. When this, this time and a place for having just a fun icebreaker, but you can do it with purpose. And there's a baked in opportunity at the beginning of every important meeting. Right. And as the leader, do you model that or do you follow up? Well, you can do it either way. Like we were saying earlier, if you're the one to push out there every time first, then they might just feel like they're supposed to do it like you do it and imitate you. Um, at the same time, you can start some of the time, but then waiting to the end is also uh, nice. So you can do it either way. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule there. I think it depends on the leader and the situation. You know, my, uh, my wife is a director of a unit uh, in the State Department here in Arkansas, and she has her team. I, I like the way she's doing it because she has her team. Every time they have a meeting, they rotate who does the icebreaker. So part of the game then becomes that people have some responsibility for breaking the ice of the group, and then people use their personalities to kind of figure out what interests them. So it's not always the leader then who is in control of what the icebreaker is all about. But our biggest recommendation is really intentionality, as you pointed out, which is to not forget that that kind of moment, really, that people need time to connect. And if all you do is task and accomplish goals in the meeting, you're not, you're not really doing your job as a leader. I think one of the most important things about this aspect of positive communication is making it safe for others to speak up. That takes a certain level of self-reflection on the part of leaders, I think. I think it takes a certain level of courage, and it certainly takes creating an environment that where it is safe to speak up. And yet, you give a couple of very powerful examples in the book about what happens when you don't make it safe to speak up. Love if you'd share one of those with our listeners. You might be thinking of the NASA example. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, two accidents separated by decades that have almost identical symptoms. It was not safe to speak up at NASA when you saw a problem, even a life-threatening potentially catastrophic issue like so a problem with the O-ring, the O-rings in the first case in the early 80s, or a problem with a possible piece of debris 
puncturing the leading edge of the wing more recently in 2003, people, engineers, people on the front lines that were studying all the data saw that there was a problem and they could not get people to listen. In fact, they were basically threatened with their jobs if they kept complaining about these safety issues and that was going to be it for them. So those middle managers and some of the lower middle managers did not make it safe for people to speak up. And when some of them attempted to go around the chain of command, they were disciplined. And then the top leaders never knew there was a problem and they made go, no go decisions with bad information. And so that was, you know, that's the kind of thing where we see it in a spectacular catastrophic fashion with NASA, but it happens in daily practice and organizations all the time where people are discouraged from passing up any unfavorable information because people still these days shoot the messenger, even though we know we're not supposed to. I was conducting a group coaching session not too long ago with a number of mid-level managers, and I was just blown away when one of them said, I had to sit down with one of my team members the other day and have a difficult conversation with him because I know that he doesn't always agree with me and he's afraid to speak up. And I told him, I need you to speak up. The team needs you to speak up, especially when you have a different perspective than the one that I'm bringing to the table. Yeah, and really it's it's why we focus on listening, right? So, because um, to me, the listening is the kind of the positive behavior. We have the cases, as Alex described, where people are creating processes in the organization that are preventing listening from happening and obviously lead to negative outcomes. But leaders can practice this by not just, I mean, you can have the open and honest conversation, but I think it's also about daily practicing and opening up conversation. It goes back to maybe asking questions. It goes back to finding creative solutions to getting people to speak up, right? In the book, we talk about the one, two, four, all strategy as a technique that you can apply that literally divides the voices so you make sure that all voices are heard in the process. So those things take intentionality, but at the heart of it is really the, the kind of the behavior and the act of, of trying to listen deeply to others in spite of differences. And if you notice, the model says, when we listen deeply, we transcend the differences. And um, your example, I think, shows that. I want to jump to the start of the book as we get near the end of the podcast here. On the first page of the first chapter, you introduce a number of different leaders facing a number of different challenges. And you say each of these leaders will need to rise to the occasion and aspire to higher levels of excellence. Their success will depend on whether they are able to communicate effectively and positively. I think that so clearly paints the picture, if you will, of why what we're talking about is so important. Communication is at the heart of successful leadership. I'm going to ask each of you, and we'll start with you, Alex, less thoughts about positive communication for our listeners. I would say to start small. One of the intimidating things about positive communication is that it makes it sound like you have to revamp your personality and be have a whole different leadership philosophy. But I would say the best way to start is to start small. So I always say on Monday, work on greetings. That's behavior number one. Just work on greeting people really well on Monday. And then Tuesday, 
say, okay, don't worry about greetings on Tuesday. You might do some good greetings. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but focus on asking questions. Just ask a few better questions on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, take 20 minutes, write a few complimentary emails, have a few complimentary conversations on Wednesday, and don't worry about the other behaviors. And then just keep cycling through the six behaviors until they become a habit and you're able to do them all the time out of habit. So that's my positive communication doesn't have to be an instant flip of the switch where you become, you know, the, the savior and hero of the organization. It becomes, it's like any other skill. You can build it, but you can build it over time bit by bit. Thank you. And how about you, Julian? So, I mean, first of all, I would echo everything Alex just said. You know, we really think of positive communication as an art that requires practice, but it's a lifelong journey. And none of us are perfect communicators, and we're all trying to see if we can get a little bit better day by day. So I really love uh, what Alex shared. So perhaps what I can add is this, you know, I, I had a conversation recently in a training. Somebody asked me a question about, well, but you know, what about Gandhi? And what about, you know, these great leaders that, that we kind of look up to? How can I get there? And, and my answer to that was really, I think we have to remember that we may not become Gandhi, right? We may not become president of the United States, but we are, each of us, influential within our circle of influence. And that, to me, is where it matters. So, yes, I'm not Gandhi, but I'm also a father, you know, and, and the way I interact with my kids is going to matter. And I happen to be a leader and I've got a team of people that I work with and I can do good there. I can improve their lives. I can maybe improve the, the, the life of the community that I'm responsible for. And for me, it's really striking because when we did some research a couple of years ago on this and we interview people, often people don't think that they're influential. It's always other people who think that they are. Does that make sense? We always look at other people as the influential source. But in fact, each of us in our own lives have a great deal of influence. And, and for me, the beauty of positive communication is that it can create magic anywhere you want to create it. Julia Maribel, Alexander Leon, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Brian.